You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. Hey, good morning. It's good to see you. You can be seated. Uh, Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. We'll pick it up in verse 25. Um, just kind of lead off this morning, uh, I want to kind of reemphasize the, the premise of what we've been looking at, that choices matter. The choices you make matter. And the choices that you make have, have, an, have an impact just beyond you, beyond you know, your family. Even the choices that you make today can have impact on generations to come. We're going to be confronted with that this morning in Genesis chapter 4. We'll pick it up in verse 25. Genesis 4, verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man. And when they were created, when Adam had lived 130 years, he followed a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam, after he fathered Seth, were 800 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Father, We pause this morning to say thank you. Thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you, Father, for the incredible blessing that you poured out on my life even before I was born. And that was to be brought into a family that loved you, that valued gathering corporately. The Father had, at my earliest age, the opportunity to be part of a church and part of a fellowship and, and to hear the gospel. To, to see that lived out in the lives of my parents. And so, Father, I am deeply, deeply grateful for that heritage. And I know, Father, I'm not the only one who was given that great gift. But we also recognize, Father, there are many families, even here watching online today, that their family life was anything but. It was anything but godly. It was anything but following you. It was anything but going to church and being part of of hearing the gospel proclaimed. While it might have been chaos, it may have been, well, by all measures, just horrible. So, Father, we recognize that we live in a broken world. We see that all the way from Genesis 3 forward. We know that the text we're looking at today it has brokenness, it has curse, it has, has lives that are hurt by the choices they make. So, Father, I pray that you would remind us today that there are two paths, two paths, only two, only two. Two paths to walk, two, two paths to, to model our life by, two paths, one leading to destruction. It's wide, it's easy, it doesn't require much of us just to go along with the crowd. But there's another path, narrow, that requires us to lay everything down. But there's no other paths in between. We see that cover to cover in your word from Genesis to Revelation, only two paths. And Father, we're going to see that yet again this morning. Got us in your word. We need your help this morning as always. And Father, I pray that uh, through the proclamation of your word, you bring about the change in our hearts that is necessary. We 
We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. When I lay out these, these sermons months ago, I was working on Genesis. I came to Genesis 5, 4 and 5, and I'm thinking, okay, Lord, what am I going to do with these genealogies? Um, no doubt when you've read through the Bible in a year, if you've done that before, there, there's, there's times you come to chapters where, you, let's just all be honest, we just kind of skim over them. We can't pronounce the names, right? And I'm not even going to try to attempt that this morning. You're going to see that. I'm going to skip over some names here um, because these names just appear here and we don't see them anymore. But there are a couple of names that we're going to pay attention to this morning. But when we come to these genealogies, we, we wrestle with that, and we, we may have the question in our mind, Lord, why is this here? I mean, of all the things you could have included in, in Scripture, uh, some things, maybe some answers, some questions that I've got, why, why is it that I have verse after verse after verse of some guy's name I can't pronounce uh, giving birth to some other guy's name I can't pronounce, leading to another guy's name I can't pronounce. And I've got verse on top of verse on top of verse of these. If you go over to First Chronicles, you'll have a section there. I think there's four or maybe six chapters. I can't remember. I've, I've just so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. You, you get to those verses and you just kind of, okay, just kind of pick up the pace here and kind of read through them. Well, this morning we are confronted with a genealogy, two of them in fact, and I, and I hope to help us understand why God led Moses to include these two particular genealogies side by side. Now, just, just for reference, and just as you, so as you know this, and I've said it before, but it's worth saying again, there's a conviction that I hold, and not only that I hold, that this church collectively holds, and this is it, that, that the God's Word, Genesis to Revelation, this is God's Word to us. It is His inspired words, which simply means that God breathed out the text that you have, the words that you have, that we now have in English. He breathed this out to men who wrote down exactly what God wanted them to write down, and that, that God even used their culture, God even used their personality, how these individuals were wired to, to bring about what we have to be the canon of Scripture. Now, we believe as a church, and I believe as a pastor, that every single passage, every single chapter, every single paragraph is important. And it is God's Word to us. Yes, even the genealogies, even those texts where we look at it and we think, my goodness, what am I, what am I supposed to do with this? Now, some texts that we read are what we call descriptive. In other words, they describe a setting. They describe reality. They, they give for us maybe context of culture or history. Certainly, chapter 5 falls within that, that, that view of, of this is just simply Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit describing for us the lineage, the family line that eventually takes us to a guy named Noah. Now, chapter 5 certainly is a bridge between this, this, this instance we have with Cain and Abel and what's happening next, what's going to happen next with the story of Noah. So in between, we have this genealogy that we have in front of us this morning, and I'm not going to read all of it, but I am going to highlight why I think that Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, why God directed him to make sure we have these two genealogies. Now, in the background here, we have Cain, who's now killed his brother in cold blood. We have Cain, who was warned by God, warned by God that if, that if he continued down the path that he was on, that sin was crouching behind the door, and that it, it desired to have him. God uses that, that imagery, uh, that, that story, or that analogy to say, look, 
Uh, Cain, you are going to be responsible for the choices you make, but you've got to understand something. That on the backside of every one of those choices you're going to make, there are circumstances connected to them. Whether you make good choices or whether you make bad, Cain, you have the opportunity because you are endowed with the image of God, the Imago Dei. You have been given that. That was given to you as being a, a son of Adam and Eve. You have the ability to reason. You have the ability to choose. And therefore, make sure you understand the choices you make are going to have an impact not only on you, but on your entire family line. I think one of the things we're confronted with here today is that the choices you're making right now are not just going to impact you. They're going to reverberate down through your family line. That's exactly what we're going to see in Cain's line, and we're also going to see it in Seth's line because that's the two genealogies we have before us. I think the reason we have them here is for the purpose of comparing and I would even so, go so far to say is that there are, there are two names, one in each genealogy, that kind of rises to the top. And, and I believe that, that God would have us to look at these two paths, to look at the choices that people are making and the circumstances that are connected to them. What's interesting about this genealogy in Genesis 4, it doesn't lead off with that Hebrew word that I told you about a few weeks ago, toledoth. Now, we have that word 13 times in the book of Genesis. We saw it for the first time in the creation account, and, and, and we're going to see it again in chapter 5. But interestingly enough, we don't see it in chapter 4. So as Moses begins to write down the, the genealogy of Cain, his family line, we don't see the word, these are the generations of. We do see it in chapter 5. I think that's important. Even at this early stage in history, even at this early stage of humanity's existence, we see two paths emerge. Two paths. And those paths, those paths that people are walking are guided by a couple of things. Number one, the family, the decisions that their ancestors made that, that they had no control over. Some of the pain you've got in your life today is the direct result of something your parents or grandparents did. And it's just been this cycle that your family's been in for maybe generations, and it can be tracked back to the choices of maybe a grandfather or great-grandfather, maybe your mom or your dad. But you are also making choices. Every day, you're making choices. And, and yes, maybe, maybe your family heritage is broken. Maybe your family tree is broken. And certainly that has caused circumstances to come into your life that you had no control over. But make no mistake about it, you are making choices every day. And it's time for us to quit being victims and start taking responsibility for the choices that we're making. So let's look at Genesis chapter 4. Let's pick it up in verse 17. Cain knew his wife. And she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the city, name of the city, after his son Enoch. Now, right off the bat here, we have Cain who begins to have a family. Now, a couple of questions we need to wrestle with right off the bat. First one, what happened to Cain after he disobeyed God and killed his brother? So if you remember, in that moment, because of jealousy and because of animosity that he had even towards God, Cain makes the conscious choice to kill his brother in cold blood. God comes to Cain and says, Cain, what have you done? Much like when he came to Adam and said, Adam, where are you? God already knew what had transpired. He already knew what was in the heart of Cain. And he, and he confronts Cain and he says to Cain, you're going to have to suffer the judgment of your actions. You see, 
Your choice to kill your brother in cold blood is now going to result in judgment in your life. And so what God said to Cain is, Cain, you are now going to be ostracized from the rest of your family line. You are now going to be a vagabond. You are now going to be in exile, and you're going to have to find another place to live, and you're going to have to be separated from your family tree. And not only that, Cain, but because the blood of your brother soaked into the ground, I'm going to curse the ground. You remember Cain was a farmer and probably a pretty effective one. Now, we know that in the fall that, that it was going to be harder to farm the land. It was going to be filled with thorns and weeds, and it was going to be difficult, but you'd be able to support your family. But for Cain, we have kind of a double curse upon the ground. Not only was the ground already hard to farm, but now it's going to be even harder for Cain to be able to produce a crop to be able to support his family. These are the, uh, the results of the choices he made. And notice how it doesn't just affect Cain. It's going to affect his family, his offspring. So Cain finds a wife. This leads to the second question. Where did he find a wife? It's kind of an obvious question, right? So you got Adam and Eve. You have, you have uh, Cain and Abel. And then eventually they have, uh, Adam and Eve have other children. It says there in chapter 5, I just read it a little while ago, that, the, that, that uh, Adam and Eve had other children. So there's two possibilities on where Cain's wife came from. The first one is going to make you cringe, but nonetheless, here it is, that Cain actually married his own relative, possibly a sister or maybe a niece. And so you think, well, wait a minute. You mean that, that God would utilize that to be able to propagate the family and propagate filling the world? Well, yes, and, and here's why he could do that. There is no law preventing it at this point. Now, later in the Mosaic Law, that will be something that God will include in the law. But at this point, we have a DNA that is very clean in, in this early part of human history. We don't have a lot of sickness, not yet, but it's coming. So you have a, a family tree here that's very pure and un, unadulterated by the sicknesses and the problems in our DNA that will come later in time as we move further and further into a fallen world. So that's one possibility that, that Cain married one of his siblings or one of his family. The other possibility is that there are some theologians who say that the Adam and Eve, we read the account of them being created in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, that there was actually other people existing at the same time. We're not told who they are. We're not told where they came from. Obviously, they would have been created by God, but we're not really told about how they came to exist, and the Bible doesn't re reveal that. But some theologians say that there's a whole other line of family over here that was already there that God created that we don't have the account of, and that that's who... Cain married. Well, I'm going to tell you of the two which I lean towards. I lean towards number one because the Bible doesn't tell me of any other people existing other than Adam and Eve. So I, I am at the point where I think the first option is the best option. So that was a burning question I know you probably had. So there you go. It's the best I can do. All right, moving right along. So we have Enoch and we have the city, a city being built by Cain. Now notice this. Cain is in the land of Nod. He's, he's in exile. But notice how that even within this family line that is now broken because of Cain's choices, we still see humanity using the Imago Dei to bring dominion to the world. We have Cain building the very first city. He names it after his own son. And so we see that, that even within humanity, within the Imago Dei, the, the image of God in us, that we have this desire to create and to build, and that's exactly what Cain does. Now, if you move further down, if you move further down, go to verse 19. We have a sixth generation from Cain, and his name is Lamech. 
Now, Lamech, verse 19, says that he took two wives. Now, I want you to notice something. Here in the earliest stages of human history, we have one individual in the line of Cain who makes a decision that goes outside of God's design for marriage, and we have it right here in Genesis. We know this to be polygamy. We know this to be where one person decides to have two wives or two husbands or multiple wives and multiple husbands. Now, in nowhere in the, in the book of Genesis and nowhere in the Old Testament does God put his stamp of approval on polygamy. In fact, in fact, everywhere we see polygamy, especially in the book of Genesis, what do we find inside those family households? We find absolute chaos every single time. Now, if you go back to Genesis 1, we are told clearly as to what marriage is. Marriage is one man, one woman becoming one, leaving their family lines, cleaving together, and they are to be together until death parts them. That is what God's design for marriage was. And here we are in the earliest stages in the line of Cain, and we have one individual who makes the choice, no, one wife is not enough. I'm going to have two. Now, notice what happens next. So, they begin to have offspring. In verse 20, one of the wives has a son, Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. So, again, we have this text describing uh, the, the family lineage of Cain. And, and for Jabel, he's the, he's the guy who's going to be a shepherd. He's going to live among the animals. He's going to live in a tent and live among those flocks that he's taken care of. Notice next, his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. So now we have music being introduced into humanity. Whether he created these instruments himself, we don't know, but it seems to indicate that. And he begins to play music. So for the first time in history, we have a city. We have the first line of shepherds. We now have music. Notice this, Tubal Cain, verse 22. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. Now what's interesting about that is Tubal Cain is not just making instruments such as farming implements. The word instruments indicates that he's now making weapons of war, weapons to kill. So notice, notice where we are here. We, we have a city. Uh, we, have, we have music. Uh, we now have the decision to make implements of war. We'd have to ask the question, why is that? Well, the reason is, is the killing is continuing. The, the brokenness that happened in the Garden of Eden with the decision to eat the fruit that God told him not to eat, this then leads to Cain killing his own brother. But listen, the killing didn't end there. And here's an example, verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then let Lemmick's be 77-fold. Here's something brand new we have, first time in the Bible. We have poetry. If you notice in your Bible, the English text, you notice how those particular words by Lemmick are set out, kind of inset from the left margin. That's indicating something. It indicates that this is actually Hebrew poetry. So we have a guy here, the sixth generation removed from Cain, who has now decided to kill someone, to murder someone, because he had been wounded. And not only has he killed someone, but he's bragging about it. Not only bragging about it, but he's singing about it. What is going on in the hearts of humanity? Well, it all goes back to the choice that Adam and Eve made that's now being lived out in the lives of their own children and their children and their children. 
He says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's will be seven. He's, he's actually mocking the judgment of God that God poured out on his descendant, on his forebear, I should say, his great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. He's mocking the fact that Cain was ostracized in exile. He's making a joke out of it. These are all choices that he's making. And what you've got to understand is the brokenness is being passed from generation to generation to generation. We have both blessing and curse within this genealogy. We have the blessing of children being born, the blessing of a city being built, the blessing of, of music being introduced into the culture. But at the same time, we have the curse of murder and death and destruction and weapons being made. We have all of that within the same genealogy. And yes, Lemek is the result of the choice that Cain made. Cain made a choice to kill his brother. That put them in exile. And not only that, if you go back in chapter 4, you'll see not only was he in exile, but he was removed from the presence of the Lord. Listen, the choices you are making today, dads, the choices you are making today, mothers, the choices you are making today, grandparents, it will not just affect you. It may take years, it may take generations, but the choices you are making are going to have an impact on those kids who call you great, great, great whatever. Uh, this church, and I'm, I'm thankful for the generosity of this church to help people in need. And every week, every week, we, we get phone calls. We have people show up either to the food pantry or they give us a phone call about some need that they have. And I'm so thankful that we're able to meet as many of those needs as we can. Our deacons actively engage, not only with meeting those needs, but also sharing the gospel and inviting them to church and making those connections. I'm very thankful for them for doing that. But during the, during the day, there are people who come and they ring the doorbell and I'll come down and I, I try to meet with everybody I can and try to engage because my sole purpose in giving a bag of food or helping somebody with a, a, a rent payment that they can't make and they're going to get kicked out, my sole purpose in that is to, is to connect with them and share the gospel with them. That's the point. And oftentimes I'll, I'll ask about their stories. And I'll hear stories of, I grew up in a broken home. I grew up in a home where my, my mother was a single mom, and she was dating these guys, and these guys would come in, and I, I'd grow up and see them beat her nearly to death. And, and then she, she got addicted, and there was drugs all through the home. I mean, this is just a culmination of the stories I've heard. Not one specific one, but the same stories that I hear. And, and so now you have an adult who, who has children, maybe another single mom, and and, and this same person is, is also now using drugs. And this same person has also got men coming in, going out of their life where they're, where they're being abused. And I have to ask the question. I have to wonder. I wonder internally. And sometimes I ask the question, and I'll ask you something like this with as much grace and love as I can. Are you tired of living this way? Because there's another path. And I'm always amazed at how you, you would think that a person who, who grows up in that kind of brokenness would, would do everything they could to break out of it. I am not going to go down that path. And thank God there are people that I meet who, who, who make that choice and say, I'm not going to live the way I grew up. I'm not going to endure. I'm not going to put my kids through what I went through. And I'm going to do whatever I have to do to break that. But unfortunately, unfortunately, the percentage of people who just continue to live in the same cycle are far greater than the ones who choose to break out of it. Even when help is offered, even when we have the conversation, look, 
we would love to have you as part of our church, and through this church family, we can help you beyond just this power bill or this bag of food. Most often, they, they don't want that. And so there may be fourth generation, fourth generation where they are addicted, fourth generation where they're being abused, fourth generation of, of living in abject poverty. And yes, part of the reason they're in that situation are the choices that their grandparents or parents made. But listen to me clearly, and I want you to hear this. They are also making choices to stay in that situation. They're making choices. And our job as a church is to introduce to them a new path, introduce to them to a new way to live. And here we have one path that a lot of people are living, and that is living for themselves. Lemek, we don't know all of his story, but we could read here and see that Lemek was not living in subjection to God. He is living in such a way where he is the God of his life. Well, that's one path. That's, that's a path you can choose, but make sure you understand that the circumstances connected to that are not going to be just relegated to your life. It's going to affect your kids, your grandkids, and even beyond. Are you willing, are you willing to continue making the choices you're making knowing that it's destroying your family line? Are you willing to do that? Can we just say that that's one of the most selfish things a person could do? is to continue to make the choices that it's going to destroy your family, but yet you keep doing it anyway? Yes, a broken family tree, but also, yes, Lemek is making his own choices. Cain made his choice. He made his choice because Adam and Eve made theirs. What choices are you making today that's already impacting your kids and your grandkids? What choices are you making today? Do you see how the ripple effect is impacting. So let's look at a, a contrast. Let's look at a contrast to Lemek. Look out in chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations, or the Toledoth of Adam. In other words, this is the line of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. So right here at the very offset of, onset of chapter 5, we are reminded of something very, very important. That image of God that, that God created Adam and Eve and gave to them, breathed into them life, that just didn't stay with them. You see, in their offspring, Cain, Abel, Seth, these other children that are unnamed, they also bear the image of God. They have the ability to choose. They have the ability to reason. They have the ability to think. They have the ability to create. They have the ability to bring dominion as God had commanded them to. So God had endowed not only Adam and Eve, but also in all of their children, including you and I. Let's read on. It says that that image was passed on. The days of Adam, he fathered Seth for 800 years, and he had son, other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Adam lived 930 years, and he died. So the next question I often get about this text, this is kind of an outlier, but it's important. Um, what about these long lifespans? What in the world? So are we reading literal history here? Are we reading that, that Adam lived 930 years the way we understand years? Is that what to say? And again, there's many different options here. I'm going to give you the one I, I think is, is what's closest to the text. Yes, I think what we have right here is exactly what we were meant to have. And yes, these people lived this long periods, long spans of time. 
Now, what's interesting is, is prior to the flood, we have these long lifespans, and even within this genealogy, we see overall the lifespan going down, slowly, slowly going down. By the time you get to the end of the lineage, they're not living as long as you see at the very beginning. Now, there's some exceptions. Methuselah is one of them. But overall, the, the years that people are living are getting less and less. By the time we get post-flood, lives are much shorter. Why is that? Sin, death, murder, violence, sickness, all the things that are the circumstances of Adam and Eve's sin are all being played out in real time, in real people, in real lives. But yes, when we read this, I believe the only thing you could come apart with is that these people live this long. Again, a very pure DNA. Sickness has, has not progressed to the point where lives are being cut short. That will come, and we will see that. But I want you to jump down, and I want you to pick it up at verse, uh, verse 18. So yeah, you know what I'm doing. I'm skipping all the hard names. I'll, I'll admit that. Skipping all that. Look at verse 18. When Jared had lived 160 years, he followed, fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters, and thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Verse 21, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Now look at verse 22. Enoch walked with God. Out of this entire gene genealogy that is spanning hundreds and hundreds of years, Name after name, we have one person giving, fathering another person, another person fathering another person. And then right in the middle of this, seventh generation, we have this guy, Enoch. And right here in the middle of this genealogy, it is brought to our attention just one single detail, actually two details, about this guy's life. Now, why is that? Why, why is it that in all of this genealogy, we get one guy in the middle of all this, and we get two very important details? I think it is to contrast Seth's line with Cain's line, and specifically Lemek and Enoch. Now, notice that Enoch walks with the Lord. What does that mean? Well, that, that kind of encapsulates the idea that he has faith in God, that he is obedient to God, that he, that he honors God and worships God, that, that God is his priority. Now, notice what else is said about him. He says here that, uh, notice it says he followed Methuselah, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years, verse 23. Notice 24. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, that's a really strange detail. Not only do we get the insight that Enoch honored God with his life, but that he honored God to such a degree that God, out of his grace and mercy, decides to reward Enoch with something very profound. Enoch doesn't die. Enoch is taken into God's presence. We don't know how, but he's taken into God's presence by God's power. If you read through chapter 5, here's what you will find. Eight separate times they died. Adam died. Methuselah died. They all died. Seth died. Every one of them. Now, there we find both blessing and curse. The curse of death, what God had told Adam and Eve from the very beginning, that if you disobey me, death will be part of what it means to live. And here we find eight times in this genealogy, just like we find in your entire genealogy, right? What do we find? And they died. And they died. Guess what we'll see in your genealogy one day? You will die. Boy, that's encouraging on Sunday morning, isn't it? That just makes a warm, fuzzy feeling in your heart, doesn't it? But the fact is, 
The same genealogy that I have, the same curse that's in my genealogy is the same one that's in yours. And they all died. But here in this genealogy, we have this one instance of Enoch and that God rewarded him. Why? Because he was faithful, that he honored God with his life, and God took him. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 11, you don't have to turn over there. But if you go back to Hebrews 11, we have this guy, this one guy. This is all the information we've got about him. We got this one guy being highlighted in the hall of faith. And you know what it says about him? The same thing. This guy honored God. Therefore, this guy got a pass on death, and God took him into his presence. And it was a reward from God for his faithfulness. Choices that he made. Two paths. Uh, a choice to honor God versus Lamech who made a choice to dishonor God. And here we have the two paths that we are confronted with over and over again. The fact is, it's a whole lot easier to act like Lamech than it is to live like Enoch did. That's why Jesus describes it as a wide path. The wide path requires nothing of you. The wide path simply requires you to do what everyone else is doing and just go along. It requires no sacrifice. It requires no real pain in your life other than the pain that comes as a result of your choices. But make no mistake about it. The wide path requires nothing of you other than just to keep doing what you're doing. Enoch, on the other hand, the narrow path, it requires you to give up the rights to your own life. It requires you to no longer be a victim. It requires you to own the choices you're making. It requires you, in our context, to put your faith in Christ and to surrender all to him, all aspects of your life, to follow Jesus on this narrow path that few are finding because so many are focused on the wide path. To honor God with your life. Listen, to, to live your life for something greater than yourself. What an awful thing to spend your whole life looking at a four or five inch screen of how everybody else is living and never actually live yourself. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? Wouldn't it be an awful thing to sit in front of a four inch screen hour after hour, day after day, month after month, week after week, year after year, only to get a report from the doctor that says you got six months to live? At that moment, do you think your priority is going to change? Do you think the screen is going to be all that important anymore? Well, why are we not making those choices now? Because your life is measured out. Your days are measured out. God knows the last day. He knows your first day. He knows when he needed you together in your mother's womb. He knows your last day. And wouldn't it be a tragedy to simply live this entire life that we've been given for ourselves? That's exactly what the world would have you to do. That's exactly what Satan would have you to do. That was exactly what he tempted Adam and Eve with in the garden. God's keeping something from you. You need to live for yourself. You need to take control. Cain does exactly the same thing. Cain takes control. He acts on his jealousy and hatred, and he kills his brother. Lamech takes control, and he says, not only am I going to forget about God's design for marriage, but I'm going to kill this guy simply because I don't like him, and then I'm going to brag about it. You see, that's a path you can choose. Some of you are choosing that path. Enoch, on the other hand, he chose a different path, a path that honors God with his life. And what little bit we know about him, what we do know, is this man had put his faith in something greater than himself. So what path are you choosing? What path are you walking? And how is that path going to impact your family, your marriage, your kids, your grandkids, and beyond? 
Have you even stopped to give that a thought yet? Have you thought about how the alcoholism is going to affect your kids and grandkids? Have you thought about how the addictions are going to affect you? Have you thought about how the pornography is going to affect your family? Have you thought about it? No, because you've been believing the lie that it only affects you. It's not hurting anybody. That's the lie we believe. I can do this. It's not hurting anybody. How many times have I heard that? That's a lie, folks. And Satan is a really good liar. And he would have you believe that what you're doing affects no one but you. So what do we do with this text? Well, here's a few things I want us to consider this morning. Number one, don't squander the spiritual heritage that was passed on to you. Some of you, your, your background is a lot like mine. You, God gave you the gift of being born in a family that loved God, loved Christ, had already given their life to him. And so part of your upbringing was, was being part of a local church and being in the Christmas play and all those things, right? Going to vacation Bible school and eating watermelon. These are all my memories, maybe not yours, but, you know, eating those sugar, those little round cookies with the holes in them, right? Those Sunday school teachers that I grew up under, that Sunday school teacher that I loved, I, I'll never forget this. Um, I think I was in second or third grade. This, this just goes out to all of our, our small group teachers to our children's ministry and what an incredible impact you have on the lives of kids. When I was a kid, uh, our Sunday school teacher asked us to, uh, to draw a picture of, uh, of uh, Jonah being swallowed by the whale, the picture and story of Jonah. And I can remember this like it was yesterday. I was second, third grade, and I went home with my crayons, and I drew the picture. What I drew, I think my mom still has it. Uh, I drew the boat, and I drew uh, the, the, the fish's mouth open at the side of the boat, and the people are throwing Jonah overboard, and, and he's falling into the mouth of the fish. That's how I drew it, because that's what I thought. Well, when I took that to class, the other kids made fun of me. The other kids were making fun of my picture. Right? They were making fun of that. So that's not where we happened. You heard the story. That's not what God did. And my teacher, my teacher put that picture up in front of the class. And she said, well, you know, God ordained that fish to be there at that moment. Maybe he just had the mouth of that fish open. Wait, and it just commended me on what a good job. But it has made me feel like I'd done the right thing, right? It made all the difference in the world. If I were going to remember it at 52, that's the difference it made. You see, the choices you're making are either helping people move closer to Christ or move further away from Him. And I was blessed to be able to raise, be raised in a home in a church environment like that. But listen, far too many young people are squandering, absolutely throwing this aside, usually about that first semester in college. That's where my sister abandoned her faith, the first semester in college. You all heard the stats. Right? The stats are that these young people, age 18, 19, 20, they, they go off, they have some freedom now, they maybe go to that first world religion class or that first philosophy class where they're exposed to all the other ways people see the world, and they have a very domineering professor who says to them, if you're a Christian, you need to keep your mouth shut, and all of a sudden they begin to, what the term is today, deconstruct their faith, which ultimately means abandoning it. Don't squander the heritage you've been given. If you were born, if God blessed you to be born in a class or in a, a family that, that loved the Lord, regardless of how much money you had, regardless of what you had, but they loved the Lord, you went to church, and you've got all those memories of that back, do not squander that as a teenager. Do not squander that as a college student. And listen to me, listen to me adults, don't squander that in your adult life. God put you in that situation for a reason. Don't just throw it away. The clock is ticking, folks. Your life is winding down. 
I don't care what age you are. Doesn't matter how many years you've got behind you or how many years you've got ahead of you. The reality is, it's the same of this genealogy. Genealogy. They all died. What are you doing with the heritage that God blessed you with? Are you squandering it, wasting it, ignoring it, ashamed of it? Don't squander it. Number two, be careful. Be careful of the ones you allow to influence your life. Be careful with those you allow to influence your life. Now, this is, this is a, hard, it's a hard thing, but let's, let's park here for just a moment. Your family life wasn't that great. Had all kinds of brokenness, rebellion. There was no mention of God, not even any belief in God. Maybe the home you grew up in had drugs that were readily available. Maybe as a child you were alone for many, many hours, even days on end where there was nobody around. And, and maybe after all that, you've got a lot of resent in your heart, a lot of anger from all that stuff you went through as a kid. And listen, I hear you because I hear those stories all the time. And then there comes that point in your life where you put your faith in Jesus. And he changes your life from the inside out. It's always been interesting to me that at that very moment, all these people out of your past start showing up in your life. And, and maybe they're mocking you. Maybe they're making fun of your faith. Maybe, they're, maybe, they are, maybe they are trying to drag you back into your addictions or drag you back into the family situation you were in. Try to, try to completely undermine the change that Christ has made in your life. This is a hard thing to consider. It's a hard thing to wrestle with. But the reality is, if you have given your life to Christ, Christ is the priority in your life. And it may be that you have to separate yourselves from the people who are trying to drag you back. Jesus made a statement about this. It was a hard statement. He says, unless you hate your mother and your father and your brother and your sister, you cannot have any part with me. Now, Jesus wasn't commanding us to hate people. What he's saying is, is that he is the priority in your life. And when you put your faith in him and he changes your life, it may cause division from the people who have not got their faith in Christ yet. You got to be very careful who you let influence your life. Whether they're coming through a screen or they're coming through your home. Even Cain's line Cain's heritage, you know where it's going to take us? We get to Noah, the story of Noah, and you know what we find out when we get the story of Noah? We find out that the world is completely, utterly broken. It didn't take a long time either from the time we fall in the garden to the time God says, I'm going to wipe out all humanity on this earth because their evil has grown to such a degree that there's no other option but to kill them all except for Noah's family in this ark that I'm going to provide. I'm going to kill them all. Because there is no way to redeem this situation, so I'm going to redeem one family who's honored me. I'm going to put them in this vessel, and the rest of them are going to drown to death. That's where we end up. By the time we get to Noah, we have implements of war. We've got people killing one another. We've got incredible sin, debauchery, and evil that is completely spread, and God says, I'm wiping them out. Where did that start? Where did that happen? Where, how did that happen? Adam and Eve, Cain killing Abel, Lamech deciding to take two wives, deciding to kill a guy and bragging about it. One of his own sons beginning to make implements of war out of metal. It, it all connects and it all moves us towards this 
event with Noah. So be very careful who you allow to influence your life. Number three, the measure of your life is your walk with God. Why are we even talking about Enoch? I mean, he's one guy. He's one guy in a lineage. He's mentioned one other time over in the book of Hebrews as an example. And other than that, we don't know anything about him. But yet he is the example of faithfulness to God. And so the measure of his life, the reason we're reading about him, the reason we have the hall of faith that the writer of Hebrews provides for us in Hebrews 11, why do we have that? It's because the measure of a person's life is not their money, their influence, their fame, their power, their political status, all of that ends. The only thing that matters when it's all said and done is your walk with God. That's the measure of your life. Not how much money you were able to stack up. That's all going to go to somebody else. The big house and all the cars, that's going to go to somebody else. No matter how famous you are, they're going to eventually forget about you. The measure of your life is your walk with God. So don't squander that. Don't squander what God has put into your life as a gift of his grace. And then finally, God is working through many generations and through many different people. God is at work in your family line. Did you know that? I know it may be broken, horrific, but, but God has been working in your family line. You may have to go back generations to find it, but it's there. In every one of our family lines, God has been at work. In all of our family lines, there's been maybe somebody who, who committed their life to Christ, maybe somebody who talked about the Bible, maybe somebody who influenced you. It might have been a, it might have been a niece or a nephew. It might have been an aunt or an uncle. It might have been a grandparent. But there was some light in your family tree. And if you look for it, you'll find it. It's because God is at work in all of our family trees, in spite of the curse, in spite of the sin, in spite of the rebellion, because God's a good God, full of grace and mercy, pursuing you and loving you, coming after you. So, yes, the family you were born to, it was cursed just like mine was. Even if you had the most beautiful family and all the, all the things that you could say is healthy and a perfect environment, get this, that family tree was still cursed because they all died. And so will you. So there's two paths here we can walk down. We can walk down the path of Lemmick and so many others like him where they live for themselves, where they too died. Or... We can follow the example of Enoch and so many more like him, where in our setting we put our faith in Christ, we give our life to something greater than ourselves, and, and we, we follow him. We live for him, not for ourselves, but for him, to bring honor and glory to him. And that comes down to the choices that we're making every single day. The path you are on are the path, is the path you have chosen for yourself. Did your family situation make it easier for you to walk down the path? Yeah, wide path, yeah. But if you're on the wide path, you are choosing to be there. You are not a victim. You are making choices. And you've got to own that. Because to put your faith in Jesus requires repentance. What is repentance? It's, it's owning the fact that I've made a mess of things. Owning the fact that I have made choices that disobeyed and dishonored God, and therefore, I need forgiveness. That's what repentance is. So no, you're not a victim. You were never intended to live as a victim. You're making choices. And isn't it time to make a choice today? Isn't it time to make a choice 
to live a different life than what you've always known? I'm not saying to you that following Jesus is going to make everything perfect. What I am saying to you is, is that you are prepared to die, but you're not prepared to die until you're prepared to live, and you're not prepared to live until you're prepared to die. And the only way to make that happen is to put your faith in Jesus, the one who beat death. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram.